Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome to CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans. I'm your host, Phil Briggs. I'm a Navy veteran, and every week I get a chance to look at the issues of the day through the eyes of my fellow military vets. Now, sometimes we get a military veteran expert in here to talk about the issues in the news, and other times we'll talk about the issues that uniquely affect veterans. But I tell you, every episode will bring you fascinating guests with incredible stories to share. My goal every week is simple, bring you something informative and something that will inspire the hell out of you. This is the news and stories about the veteran lifestyle. This is Eye on Veterans. This hour, we'll talk about psychedelics and how psilocybin and ketamine are being used right now to help veterans manage and overcome the demons of PTSD and depression. So we did see a lot of uh, destruction, a lot of loss of human life. Five Marines that were in that Humvee, two in the front, two in the back, and then one in the turret. Um, There was, I could fit every single one of those bodies in the half of an MRE box. And, um... It can really like challenge your belief about the world. What's the purpose of all this? Closed my eyes, I had the headphones on, and then it was just one of the most beautiful experience of my life. You see colors, I actually would see the world, but the one thing that it did was I felt this unity with everything around me. We can catch them early, help them take those boundaries down a bit and open up. Wouldn't that be nice? All right, so welcome, and uh, get ready, because we're going to talk about stuff that I never thought we'd talk about in a medical context. Stuff like ketamine and shrooms. Yeah, the stuff that we really mostly heard about being used as recreational drugs. But are they effective at treating PTSD and depression? Our next guest is Nate Kendrick, a former Army Ranger who swears that ketamine brought him back from the brink of suicide. Now, his story began with a combat mission in Africa known as Operation Gothic Serpent. Most of us know about his story from the movie Black Hawk Down. 
a special operations mission intended to take out leaders loyal to Somali warlord Mohammed Adid. The assault was planned to include an air and ground phase. And as the mission was ongoing, Somali forces shot down two American helicopters. Fighting lasted throughout the night to defend the survivors of the crashes. The next morning, an armored convoy fought their way through the city to the helicopters, incurring further casualties, but eventually rescuing the survivors. The casualties that day included 19 dead American soldiers and 73 wounded. Special Ops, we get called the, the Ranger Regiment, um, some SEALs. We're down in uh, Fort Bliss, Texas. They build a mock-up of Mogadishu out in the desert. We're out there, I think we were out there 70 days, trained day after day after day for this one mission, what we were going to do. And uh, wow. so, yeah, 19, 19 years old, freshly married, didn't know what the heck I was doing in life, and uh, found myself in, in a show. Wow. Um, and that was your yeah. very first deployment. Holy cow. I that, was my, that was my first deployment. It was, I, I joined... October 6th of 1992. That was October 2nd, 1993. It's just, it's shocking to your system, to, to your psyche. And then to come home from that and then literally kind of forgot that I was even married while I'm there, you know, because I'm in survival mode. And then it's like coming home and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to the barracks. I'm, I'm going home. So while I was gone, she had got an apartment. So I'm going home to this like pre-made life, but I come home a different person. Share with me a couple of the bullet points of the things that you quickly couldn't forget. One, I always had the radio on. So hearing like the, when the first Blackhawk went down, it just got, it was kind of like, you know, especially being 19, I think in my first mission and being young and you go in and you respect everybody above you and you just almost kind of think like, I'm safe. You know what I mean? Like these, these are rangers, you know, I'm surrounded by the best, most elite, soldiers in the world nothing can go wrong like we've got this down we're america like we're going to go in we're going to it's going to go just like it has every day for 70 days practicing this and then that changes and you know i think that's where the the training this you know the senior guys they're able to just man you know lock down do the job and i i mean i was still able to do my job but inside i'm just like oh Mm. it um it shocked me and then calling in calling in, you know, attack helicopters on something and then having to do like the battle damage assessment, I guess was the hardest thing for me, like reporting back, you know, here's what I've seen, here's this, that, and then in the, in the ear, this chaos and, and hear, you know, requests for medics and, and there's just, there's not enough and there's, there's no life, there's no, there's, there's no, not enough birds, you know, to do extractions. And so it just was like, uh, I grew up, that's where, that's where it was like, okay, I could die. This is it. Mm. Now, as a coping mechanism, Nate started with the drinking before he was even out of the military. I'd go to work, do my thing, because I, you know, lived off base now, I'm married, go home, and just, I literally just sit there in front of the TV and, and just start tanking back beers until I could fall asleep, you know? Now, as Nate began the civilian chapter in his life, he began seeing a non-military psychologist who determined that his family history of bipolar disorder is what he needed to be medicated for. But when the PTSD he was suffering from did not relent, and it was a condition that was rarely talked about in those days, Nate went to the VA, and the VA dispensed a deadly mix of pharmaceuticals, known to many warfighters as the combat cocktail. I mentioned, you know, the civilian bipolar. They're like, oh, yeah, that's what it is, your bipolar 
they back on lithium and then start putting me on, um, oh, let's see. I think I was taking Prozac and then some, and then they gave me uh, some benzos, um, Klonopin and um, uh, Xanax. And so I was doing that. So I would literally like, you know, wake up, take, take a bunch of lithium. Uh, oh, I had also been diagnosed with um, ADHD. So I'm on um, Adderall. So I'm taking Adderall with Seroquel, with Xanax, um, the, I think Prozac. It was nuts. I was. I felt like my head, my mind, my personality, everything was in a straight jacket. I never. I couldn't express feel laughter. I couldn't express approval or disappointment. I was just this zombie. With his first marriage ending in divorce, he'd lost contact with most of his military buddies many of whom were battling similar demons. And he found himself in unhealthy relationships and resorting to even harder drug use, like cocaine. This is when Nate Kendrick went to the edge. We get in an argument one night, and I just decide, okay, this is it. So I am in R-15, go get, my, go get my rifle. And I'm, for some reason, I was just so bitter, and I was like, going to make her watch me do this. And I think it was also like uh, I had written suicide letters before and then never followed through. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to make this commitment. I'm going to do this. And so I was set, put the magazine in, chambered the round, didn't hit the forward assist, thank God, um, because when the bolt went forward, it, di- it didn't fully fully chamber the round. But I turned the rifle and I said, you're going to watch this and you know, put my thumb back through and try to pull the trigger uh, or you know, did squeeze. And so... At that moment, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm accepting this. But then, wow, you know, nothing. It didn't, it didn't because the round wasn't fully chambered. So she flips out, takes off out the door. The, my life kind of flashed before my eyes, and that's when I realized I was like, okay, I am, I am not doing well by myself. Now, by chance, Nate would eventually hear about the drug ketamine, and an internet search revealed that there was a new ketamine clinic that had opened near his home in Utah. So with nowhere else to turn, this former Army Ranger, now at his lowest, went to the clinic. Um, I'm still a little bit like, well, what, what am I going to expect, you know? Um, and I had done a little research there, so you're going you know, to hallucinate, and they tell me a little bit about, you know, you may have some hallucinations, you know, you could get a little nausea. Um, they go over my history a little bit. He had a veteran that was a Navy veteran actually that was working uh, for him that was uh, now a nurse practitioner. And so kind of hit it up with that guy. So I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable. Go into this room. There's this big bean bag. I uh, get on the, on the love sack and they come in. And so the way I did it was an intravenous or I mean, a, an injection, intramuscular injection. So they come in, they give me a shot. I think my first one was 75 milligrams of ketamine. And, um, so about five minutes later, my lips start to go numb. And then I start kind of like a little bit of a euphoric feeling. Close my eyes. I had some head, headphones on. And then it was just one of the most beautiful experience of my life. I, I can't, it, it's kind of hard to explain. Everyone has different, you see, you see colors. Um, I actually would see the world, but it was kind of like in a animated, um, an animated thing. But the one thing that it did was I felt this unity with everything around me that, and I, apparently this is, you know, really big with all psychedelics. 
that I had never had before. I realized uh, that I wasn't alone. Whereas for 10 years, I'm telling you, Phil, I, I didn't even have a buddy. Like it was my family. Everyone was so worried about me. Like you need friends. You need something. I wouldn't date nothing. Mm. I mean, I was like how housebound. And because I didn't feel this connection to the world around me, I felt, I felt when I walked out the door, I thought everybody, they don't see me as, as a, as a hero, as a, an honorably discharged veteran. They see a broken person who couldn't take it. You know, that was the first experience. And then, um, I did five more treatments within a two week period and everyone just got, I felt more connected, less anxiety by the end of the sixth one and i had not been out to a restaurant willingly in i don't know how long and i left and i'm like hey let's go out to dinner and that's when for her like blew her mind she's like you're a different person that simple of a thing all right now stick around because up next we're going to meet another combat veteran that's been saved by ketamine and hear about the fund that helps veterans get access to these treatments when CBS Ion Veterans returns. The veteran stories we hear make us proud to be Americans. We were doing convoy security on the road for 48 hours. But the stories we don't reflect the wounds that Wounded Warrior Project is there to heal. We're coming really close to the base and there was an explosion. He hit his foot on the gas. I end up putting my face into the bulletproof glass. Now, more than ever, we need to help each other. And with only a $50 donation, you can help get one warrior the mental health services that heal the mind, body, and soul. I was not dealing with pain medication, and I was not dealing with everything right. And I need help. I need to talk to someone about how to fix my life. 18 minutes after I called Wounded Warrior Project, they had a person on the line calling me back. That's the power of just a $50 donation to Wounded Warrior Project. You help a veteran get through his worst day. So give what you can today at DonateToWarriors.org. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs and a reporter for ConnectingVets.com. Now we'll continue our conversation about how veterans are finding relief through the use of psychedelics. Like our previous guest, former Army Ranger Nate Kendrick, our next guest saw some fierce combat, only to then fall into post-military depression and dissatisfaction. Arik Avia from Ogden, Utah, had every quality that makes a great Marine. And joining the Marine Corps during wartime, he was eager to get in the fight. Some of the things I experienced, especially in, in combat, I was uh, on QRF, which is Quick Reaction Force, so I didn't leave the wire unless something was bad, something was, something was going wrong, you know? And so through that, you know, experiencing a lot of, you know, IED blasts and, and you know, picking up our, our fallen comrades and, and getting them to safety or, you know, getting them back to where they can be laid to rest kind of a deal. Um, those are some of the things that really, you know, triggered me um, after the service of not being able to process those emotions or process what had just happened. You know, one of the biggest things that, that happened that, that really messed with me bad was during Ramadan, there was a, a sandstorm. We got called out for, um, we we're just going to do some support work. And then this uh, vehicle IED came through a, a hasty checkpoint, um, killed every Marine that was there, you know, and uh, the Humvee, when we picked it up, didn't even look like a vehicle, just looked like a, a crumbled mess. The 50 cal barrel that was on top of the, 
on top of the Humvee was bent like a horseshoe. I mean, it was a pretty bad blast. And out of the, I think there was five Marines that were in that Humvee, two in the front, two in the back, and then one in the turret. Um, there was, I could fit every single one of those bodies in the half of an MRE box. That's how, how uh, devastating that blast was. And that's something that really, you know, had a hard time processing after I got out of the military. It was just that site and having to clean that up and keep your composure while you're doing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I know to our civilian buddies that it's like they see war and they see kind of the bravado. They see the bang, bang, bang and getting your gun on and kicking indoors. And there are moments that have to be absolutely thrilling, but there are moments like what you just described that are utterly etched in your mind forever and begin to whittle away a little bit, maybe even at your moral compass or your soul as you age. And as the brain doesn't immediately process these things, it just sits and marinates in that dark room in the back in some brain file cabinet. And eventually that file kind of slowly reopens, but it shows itself in different ways. And that's when we realize, man, we need a little help. We need a little help coping. Maybe this comes to a veteran after he gets out of the service and he's just now in dad mode. And it, you know, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not healthy to be processing this all the time or having these thoughts pop back up. So we turn to medications and we turn to our VA, uh, for the medical treatment. Uh, tell me a little bit about your path. Where did you initially go to help process some of these things? Well, initially I didn't, I didn't do the positive thing. I went, you know, to the bottle, you know, and I was a pretty, pretty heavy alcoholic for quite a few years, you know, during the service and, and right after, you know, I, would drink away my my pain and my sorrows i guess the best way to say it a lot of buddies and and family members referred me to the va and i would you know i worked with a lot of guys that didn't really make it through the the fleet you know they they got out with missing arms legs faces um i felt like i was an able-bodied i wasn't injured in that way and so i didn't really turn to the va for any help right out the gate it wasn't until i got you know motivated by family members and friends to, hey, just go check it out. And my experience with the VA wasn't the best. I felt like I was getting worse because they were just throwing pills at me. They were just throwing so many different kinds of pills. Well, that's, this isn't working, try this. This isn't working, try this. And I felt like I was getting worse and worse. Um, and it really wasn't until I, I actually kicked the alcohol, and I've been sober now for over six years, and it wasn't until I did that that I actually started to, to see some changes and, and make some positive moves in my life. Right on. Let's get into that. Uh, We could say a lot about therapy, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, where you relive emotions and you relive stories, kind of like we've done on the front end of this interview. And it's good to an extent, but you can only sit on a couch and relive things or think things or go over memories for so long before you need something to kind of help you break through and feel good again. And you can't find that while you're swimming in alcohol or while you're drowning in pharmaceuticals. But you did somehow come upon ketamine as something that was a door to kind of a new reality for you. Uh, Explain to me where you came upon the ketamine. Yeah, definitely. So, like I said, you know, motivation from buddies. I I still have a lot of good military friends, Marine friends, ones I've served with and others that, you know, just Marines, you know, once a Marine, always a Marine. And so we, you know, we'd bounce back and forth of, you know, what, what are you doing? What, what, how have you been doing? And, and what are you doing to, to help yourself kind of a deal? And I had buddies that were talking about different, different ways that they've been working through it. And, and ketamine came up as one of them. And one of the things, especially since getting rid of alcohol in my life is I, I won't put anything in my body that's going to 
you know, affect the way I can control myself. That's like one of my biggest fears is, is not being in control of, of what I'm doing. And so I put the ketamine off for a very long time until, you know, one day just, it just happened to happen. You know, he's like, today's the day you got to do this. Let's go and do it. And I wasn't, I didn't realize how bad I was, even though I, I felt like I was doing really well until I actually got into doing the ketamine and realized like how much better I was doing afterwards. And that's when I realized, holy cow, there's something really special here. There's something really cool going on with this ketamine thing. And I need other people to experience it too. Cause if I'm getting this much relief from it, when I thought I was already in a pretty good place, the people that are in bad places, this is going to pull them out of the dark. So we've now heard from two combat vets, how this psychedelic trip in a medical office has left them with an afterglow of optimism, like the anti-hangover, a feeling that appears to help them overcome anxiety, PTSD, depression, and more. So I asked Arik, who has gone from a patient to running a clinic called Ketamine SLC in Salt Lake City, Utah, just how does the ketamine therapy work? Right, and I'm not a doctor, so don't quote me on any of this. I'm going to explain the best way that I I explain it. But the you know where you're behind your your pineal gland and your third eye is where you actually store depression, anxiety, and it's actually measurable. And that's the crazy part is when you do ketamine, it actually clears that. So it's called your lateral habanule. It's behind your pineal gland, and that nerve ending gets wiped clear of your depression and gets wiped clear of your anxiety. And so the ketamine, even after the, the psychedelia is over, it's leaving behind what's called dendrites, which are bridges that connect neurons in your brain. And that's where that repair work's happening. Um, there's another program called EMDR, where it works with like lights and, and things you hold in your hand, and it's connecting the left and right brain. Well, with the ketamine, it's doing that through medicine. It's leaving those dendrites to connect the neurons from the left brain and the right brain. And so especially with PTSD, like a lot of veterans deal with, that's like a, a, fracture, a fractured uh, neuron. Like it separates and it's bouncing around in your brain. And when it gets triggered, it, that, that electricity that shoots through that neuron just loops. And so you kind of live in that, in that pain and in that, in, that, uh, in that memory. But with ketamine, it's connecting that neuron. So it's connecting the left and right brain so you can actually experience it and let it go. Whereas with PTSD, you just experience it and relive it and relive it and relive it. So huh. I think that's why the next day you feel amazing because that memory or that PTSD neuron is, is completed. Yeah. And, you know, through the process of the clinic, it's, it's a six treatment process. And the hope is if we can get you through these six treatments in a you know, two, three-week period, you should be able to be medicine-free, depression-free for 90 days to 100 days without any medicine, without any ketamine, because your brain's actually doing the work it's supposed to do anyway. Now, what about those follow-up booster shots? Are they really just another version of medication that the veteran will be forced to take for the rest of their lives? I mean, the, the best way I can describe ketamine is it's like, a, it's like a wipe for your ass, right? If you go back to your life, you're going to have you know, bad times. You're going to have depression again. You're going to have anxiety again. But if I can wipe that clean for you, and then you go out there and you take on life and do some positive things and you take care of yourself, and you're not going back to, you know, drinking and, and doing the things that bring you depression, then you're going to have a longer interval in between these, these um, booster shots. Now, if you or a veteran you know want more information about ketamine treatments, 
and financial assistance for ketamine therapy. You can check out more information at ketaminefund.org. And as always, it's important to talk with your primary care doctor before entering into any new treatment. And we'll be back to talk about the therapy of magic mushrooms when CBS Eye on Veterans returns. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs, and a reporter with ConnectingVets.com. And we're going to continue our conversation about psychedelics in veterans' medical treatments. And our next guest is here to talk to us about how psychedelics in the form of psilocybin and mushrooms are making their way into medical treatments. Uh, Tim Laidler is a board member with Haven Life, a Canadian veteran and a biotechnology company focused on unlocking human potential using evidence-informed research and developing standardized psychoactive compounds to help treat vets' mental health, PTSD, and a variety of other things. An exciting topic and uh, exciting to talk to one of my Canadian veteran brothers. Tim, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, share with me first a little about your military background. Sure. Yeah, I um, yeah, served with the Canadian Army. And I was deployed to Afghanistan in 2008. I was part of a convoy escort uh, platoon, so we would be guarding the supply convoys between Kandahar airfields and all the different forward operating bases throughout the Kandahar province, um, serving side by side with uh, American forces and um, you know, all in all, for me, it was uh, it was a good tour, uh, very formative. As I was 22 years old while, while I was in Afghanistan, um, just on myself as, a, as an adult, and uh, you know, it was a I describe it as living in a medium stress environment for the full eight months I was deployed there. Uh, the risk of suicide bombers, roadside bombs, it was present uh, quite often. After the Taliban would attack us, there'd be a lot of civilian casualties. So we did see a lot of uh, destruction, a lot of loss of human life, and um, it can really like challenge your belief about the world and, and make you start to wonder what you know, what's why are we doing this? What's it? What's it? What's the purpose of all this? And how can we live in a world where there's such evil in humanity? And coming back to Canada, I was uh, you know I had those thoughts, but I was still very successful. I, I was able to go back to university and, and finish an undergraduate degree. But I always felt like a piece of me was sort of missing or a piece of me died over there. And I was lucky to find traditional counseling as a help to me in the form of group counseling at the University of British Columbia. So coming out of the military, I ended up taking a job at the university and creating a a charity called the Veterans Transition Network. And it brought veterans together in groups and got them traditional therapy. Um, I've been doing that for almost 10 years now. And the problem is a lot of veterans don't want to come in for counseling still. And a lot of the treatments that are being used by psychologists and psychiatrists, they're still not working for every single veteran out there. They'll ask any clinician in the field, they'll tell you there's a group that resists these treatments. Sometimes they'll say as high as 30% and with complex PTSD, with moral injury that's being called now, we, we need new innovations and things to help you know, psilocybin psychedelics is coming online and we really see that as an amazing opportunity to bring in this group of people that we all know them, right? They're still struggling out there. Yeah, They're disconnected. Yeah. They've got symptoms. So how do you end up going from this experience now and being involved in these group sessions with university and veterans? How do you go from that to discovering psilocybin, which is, to my knowledge, right, shrooms, right? Yes. Um, I'll be honest, I was, uh, I was a pretty big skeptic at first. Um, 
you know, I found this group counseling program and um, we have research and evidence to prove that it works. I took it myself and it, it's intensive. It's 10 days in a retreat center with psychologists and they're doing depth psychology. Like they're really getting down to the root of why things affect you. And what I realized is that for a lot of us, it's not just our military service, that it's paired up with our childhood and stress of growing up and those things all kind of root together. And it, it did work for me, but um, as I reached out to more and more of my colleagues to come and take this program, the second they heard the word psychologist or counseling therapy, they just said, no, nah, man, I'm not doing it. So it sounds like what you're saying is that the use of the psilocybin really is just the gateway to getting them into some great therapy and using it as a vehicle to, you know, lower their guard. We know a lot of veterans, they're conditioned to bottle it up and get on with the mission and suck it up. The hard piece is there's no light switch when you come back home to turn that off and to say, hey, it's okay now to talk to your family about things that bothered you and things you found stressful overseas. Like you're not on mission anymore. You can, you can take a moment and talk about things, and it's really healthy to talk about that and get it off your chest and help people understand why you might get triggered or activated when you smell diesel taking a public transit bus. Um, the, the exciting thing with psychedelics is getting veterans together on a retreat you're taking something psychoactive, you're taking psilocybin or mushrooms, it can give a lot of veterans an excuse to let that out, let their guard down a bit. And it goes against a bit of the masculinity that both men and women in the military prescribe to quite often and allows them to, to share part of themselves that normally is bottled up. And I think that's a really important step for us to heal as a community is to be able to talk about this more openly. And psilocybin is the piece that might help that group that can't right now. And, uh, that's why I'm spending time to make sure there's more research around it. Isn't that crazy? The very thing that happens to us as we get older, we try to stay as uber masculine as we can for as long as we can. And the fact that there's a little something that might open that door to make the counseling subsequently that much more effective. Psilocybin or all these alternative meds could be the little thing that just says, hey, it's okay, tough guy. You don't have to be such a badass 24 hours a day sit around the campfire with me, bro, and we'll, you know, cry about how beautiful the song is together, and then we'll laugh about it and make fun of each other, <laughs> right? Totally, totally, yeah, and we need the, we, we want to hope that people don't have to wait, you know, 10, 20 years, 30 years to figure this out on their own, like, the, the, I think a big problem in the military community is that when you don't figure that out, you tend to be less successful in your romantic relationships. How many veterans have come back from a deployment gone through a divorce now they're separated from their kids they're separated from the support network mm. they're trying to figure this all out on their own right, right right by the time they're in their 40s and you know it's often too late and they're now they're having to restart and it just causes such damage to not just the veteran but the whole veteran family and the community so we can catch them early help them take those boundaries down a bit and open up I always tell the guys, say, why should I do this? They say, well, it's going to make you more successful in your career, but it's also going to make you more successful with romantic relationships. Wouldn't that be nice? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, good idea. Oh, right on. I think we need to make a movie about this, and I'm just kind of tripping on this, no pun intended. And I think you need to enlist Canada's very own Seth Rogen. And I will yeah. talk to Hollywood and see if we can get one of our favorite warriors like uh, Sylvester Stallone. And uh, Seth Rogen, Paul Rudd, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger tripping in the woods over a campfire and then all crying and remarking <laughs> about how beautiful the furniture feels on their face. And this fabric yeah. just, is just lovely. <laughs> yeah, I actually hope is in British Columbia just outside Vancouver. And that's where they filmed Rambo. 
So I'd always, we'd always joked about doing the Sylvester Stallone thing where we bring Sylvester Stallone back to Hope, B.C., because that was kind of what kicked off the negative image of the Vietnam veteran, right? It goes crazy and, like, right, shoots right. up the town. And to be like, we kind of did a disservice to all the veterans by promoting that in Hollywood, and let's undo that with Sylvester Stallone here to be like, actually, veterans are an asset, and they're less likely to be homicidal, more likely to be suicidal. Let's support them. <laughs> Rambo returns yeah. on Mushrooms. Yeah, there you go. This week, you took a profound step into moving the needle towards this research and discovering even more about what psilocybin can do when it's paired with counseling. And um, you paired up with a a group in the United States. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so there's been a group in the United States called the Heroic Hearts Project. We've been working with them to expand a Canadian chapter of their charity with the goal of allowing veterans to go to jurisdictions where it's legal to consume psilocybin and that does and it for cbs ion veterans you can find this there. episode and uh, more as I said, at we really want to make sure we get some of that research you done early so that as we start to see psilocybin being decriminalized in different states in the u.s and um there's been a few people given exemptions to use it here in canada now by health canada we want to make sure that those first of all those people have the, the best education so they know how to use it properly and and then with haven we want to make sure they have naturally grown options and research the compounds so they know exactly what they're taking. And so the research is essential that we keep it consistent in the actual psilocybin that we're researching. Any way we can find new answers to age-old questions in how to heal the warfighter's wounds, it is of the utmost importance. And uh, Tim Labler at Haven Life, uh, where do I get more information about the research you guys are doing? Really appreciate your time on this and in all the interest. Yeah, that to learn more about what we're doing at Haven, it's havenlife.com. That's H-A-V-N life.com. All right, so that does it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. Now, we'd love to hear from you. So follow us on Twitter at IonVeterans, or you can reach me at Phil Briggs Vet. I'm always down to get your hot takes and spicy memes, and I'd love to talk to you every week, so please like and subscribe. Hell, even give us a review of the show, because the comments and reviews really help us tailor the show to you. Again, I'm Phil Briggs, Navy veteran and reporter with ConnectingVets.com in Washington, D.C., and I look forward to talking to you again on another episode of CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes Podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews, and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.